Good morning, church. It is good to see you this morning, and good not to see you, but good that you're here with us online. Um, we are going to be back to Matthew chapter 6, uh, looking at 9 through 10 as our springboard, our main uh, verse focus. Last week, we started a new series that we have entitled, His Kingdom, My Choice. His Kingdom, My Choice. Um, you know, when we started this, we, we talked about uh, picking sides. That's just kind of our nature. That's how God not only has created us, but that's definitely uh, been made more known to us, I think, here in recent times with all of the choices that are just kind of forced upon us. You know, we're in our political time where we have to choose a, the same leader or a new leader, one of the two, and uh, so we have to just start making choices about these leaders and which way we are going to stand. We have a lot of choices that's got to do with the, the virus and, and the pandemic that's upon us and all of the things we have to cipher through and decide where we stand on all of that. We have a lot of uh, social uprising and just trying to figure out where we stand on all that. Uh, as we talked about last week, you know, the, what Jesus, Jesus also kind of has uh, forced us to decide what we're going to do with him as well. Um, and that's, you know, these are just choices that we have in life to make. And, uh, um, but what Jesus wants more than anything, and that's what we are started this study and why we are here, is that he wants us to choose his kingdom over this earthly kingdom. Uh, and to choose him over any and every other decisions that we have. In other words, he, he be the central focus of everything that we have to choose. And we're going to choose these other things, but making sure that we don't, you know, lower him on the, the, our um, bar in any way that we choose, make something else more important than him. Um, because nothing should be more important. As followers of Jesus, nothing should be more important than Jesus, our Lord, and his kingdom, and what he, his agenda is. And so, and just as we talked about last week, you know, because all this side-picking, it has definitely filtered into the churches. Now, I am so, I just can't even express how uh, happy, proud, I think that would be an appropriate word to use, because it's in a godly way that I mean that, of, of this church, and just how we have been navigating through this, and it's been hard, and it's not like we've been perfect, but, but just for instance, I had a, a, a fellow um, preacher here in town just ask me, like, Mike, how do you get your church to come into the building and wear masks? You know, and I'm not wanting to come across arrogant at, at all, but I just, I'm just like, all we do is have a conversation about Scripture. That's what we did, wasn't it? We just looked at what Scripture says, and then we asked ourselves this question, what would Jesus want us to do with this? And we are just trying to be people who follow the Word of God the best we can as we walk through this together. Um, and that'd be my guess. We took a poll that we would probably say 90-some percent of us hate these masks and would, not, would rather not wear them. But if you watch and, and you see people coming in this building, it would be 90-some plus that are wearing the, these masks in the building. Only Jesus can do that, right? And that's the purpose and the reason for we're doing it. And that's just got to do with the fact that we're just trying to, the best we can, to stay focused on what Christ really wants from us. And, and this is just part of that. You know, I was telling you about a church 
and, and in Kansas, in the city, that was just really struggling because during this time, their church has just, in the last few weeks, actually, just divided, right, over these issues. And it was mostly all political issues, whether it's the mask issue or just who's running for this or that. But, but all of a sudden, their church is just half of what it was because this comes in and people's feelings get hurt. And so it's just, the Spirit has just led me that it's important for us just to continue to, to open up God's Word and just try to really figure out how does He want us to navigate through this time. For us to make sure that we are focused on His kingdom and, and not be uh, pulled into focusing only on this earthly kingdom and, and forgetting what our objective is, what our purpose, what He wants our purpose to be. And so that's where we are. That's why we are here. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is teaching the people to pray. What he's actually trying to teach them is trying to teach them how to focus their heart. He wants, because that's what you do, right? When you pray, you, you are letting God know what your heart really is. I mean, that's where you are revealing your heart to God. And, and it also is where God speaks to you, and he can sometimes, in the midst of you sharing with him, he can be like, yeah, that, your heart's not in line with what I want you to focus on. But Jesus is teaching them how to pray because some of them would get on the street corners and they would just pray, oh God, you know, and just try to have all the focus come upon them, on their agenda and on, you know, on, on the, you know, the people to think how awesome they are. And Jesus was like, that's, that's silly. That's not the way to pray. And some of them would, would pray with just many words and just babble and just go on. And he's just like, that, that, you're just trying to manipulate God in some way. That's not the way to pray. And then Jesus teaches them this. He says, when you pray, do it like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, this is all about you, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this has just been kind of our springboard for this series in this sense that when, when we pray or when we come to church, when we wake up in the morning, let our spirit inside of us desire this, that we want God's name to be praised, to be hallowed, to be above all things, and for us to want and desire for his kingdom to come on earth as it already is in heaven, for that to be our focus and our objective and our primary uh, you know, uh, purpose. Jesus made it very clear his number one objective was this kingdom, right? His kingdom, not this kingdom like on earth, but his kingdom. That was what he came here, and he was so focused on this. And, and he still is, but what I'm talking about is like the 30 years that he was walking this earth in his fleshly body, um, he was, this was what he was completely focused on, and this is what he was trying to do. And, and as we will see in a minute in his word, there is already a ruler in this kingdom, right? And it's not God. It's not Jesus. We call him Satan. He's the ruler. He's the prince. He's the one in charge. He's been given this dominion right here. Uh, and we will look at scriptures and talk about that here in just a moment. But, uh, but Jesus didn't come here to take this kingdom over. He has zero interest in taking this kingdom over. He doesn't, he doesn't want this kingdom. He already has a kingdom. This kingdom is temporary. His kingdom is eternal. And he wouldn't want to swap them over for nothing. Um, 
so this is God's kingdom. What did Jesus come here for then? To come get us, to invite us to his kingdom, which is way better, um, and to uh, allow us to have entrance into that. You know, Lori and Julia and I took some uh, youth to Hidden Haven this weekend, and, uh, and little Emmett was playing with his tractor and excavator and his dump truck and stuff. He was just playing around, and he knows the names of all of those, those uh, toys. And, he's, and it just got me thinking about this, this kingdom, you know, this earthly kingdom versus Jesus' kingdom. And, and I know that many of you uh, ladies, probably when you were little, you had a dollhouse of some sort, right? And you were, you were playing you know, home and, and uh, uh, things of that sort. And many of you guys probably had hot rods or tractors or something. We know that Joni, she had a toy horse for sure, right? Um, and, and you were playing with these things and just pretending to, you know, that they were real and things like this. But now you're adults. And now you don't, you trade it in like your, your dollhouse for the real thing. And you trade it in, you know, your toy horse for the real thing and your tractor for the real thing, your hot rod for the real thing. Would you take the real thing that you have now and trade back for, for that toy? And the answer is absolutely not. I mean, and, and you could be silly and funny if you want to, but you wouldn't because there's, there's not even, you can't even compare the two. One is real, right? One is where you raised your kids and, and you had all of those memories and things of that sort. You wouldn't trade that in and you wouldn't trade in something that's so much more valuable and, and necessary as a vehicle or a tractor or things like that. You wouldn't trade it in for a toy, and, and I know that this isn't a really great illustration because that's comparing two temporal things, you know, two things that are still not going to last. Your house is not going to last forever and your car and all these things. But, but it's still there's a vast difference. And just think about the vast difference between this kingdom here on earth and God's kingdom that is eternal. Why would Jesus ever want to come here and trade in and, and start establishing an earthly kingdom that is only eternal? He, I mean, only temporary. He always, always came knowing he would leave back into where he came. He, he left the eternal, came here for a little bit, 30 years, and he went back to the eternal kingdom. And he stayed focused the whole time he was here because he knew where he was going. He was only here... For, the, for just the opportunity to make a way for us to be invited to his eternal kingdom. And he stayed focused on that. And when he invited us into that eternal kingdom, he made us kingdom people. He wanted us to now read his word and to be thinking about this kingdom that he has and that he has invited us to be about and to stay focused on that the best that we can. And obviously, we are not going to do it as well as him, but it's still very important for us to not lose sight of what we are. Now, now, how encouraging it is to me as a follower of Jesus and knowing that I am already established in this eternal kingdom of Jesus, when, when somebody that I see gets it, you know, gets what I get, and they are demonstrating this. I just get so encouraged and so fired up with this. And this happened to me this past week, and I want to just give you an illustration of what I'm talking about here. Um, and so if, you, if you're okay with it, I'm going to show you a little video. We're going to walk through this. 
But I want to show you what happened Thursday with uh, Jonathan Isaac. They started the, the NBA back up, right? And many of you maybe already seen some of this, but they started the NBA ba- back up. And so they were going to use it as an opportunity to promote Black Lives Matter and promote, you know, uh, all of the, the things that are significant in that uh, to them. And so they painted it on their, their um, uh, floor. Everybody pretty much had, you know, the shirts on and stuff. And so this is what transpired. Let's just let's watch for a moment here. Okay, so he's the only one that is not wearing something, is not kneeled down. And how hard would that have been to, to have made that decision right there? And, and maybe you already know why he did. Maybe you don't. I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. But, but he had to have come to this realization. What would, in fact, the first thing I would have wanted to know if I saw this, before he ever told why he did it, it was, why are you doing this? Why would you do that? You know, there has to be a reason that you'd be doing this. And, and does he, anyway, let's, let's just, I'm going to let you, let him explain to you. It's, the audio is not great, but just try to listen to what he says here when he's asked about why he did this.
Now, I don't know. Did, how many of you did not understand what he was saying? Okay, because I, I know that sometimes the audio is really hard. But, but here's the thing is what he was saying is that he, he just wants his life to be focused on the gospel. And he knows that, you know, the, the, the world is, is messed up. There's got a lot of issues. Um, and he just knows Jesus is the answer to that issue. So if he could just get people to focus on Jesus, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here uh, for him, but if he just get people to focus on Jesus, then all of these issues would be taken care of in the midst of that. Uh, they asked him if black lives matter. That's kind of a crazy, that's like asking a, a black guy is, is uh, water important, you know, uh, for life. Uh, obviously it is. And, and, uh, but it's just kind of funny because I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I, I just appreciate that he gets it. That, it's, that our focus should be on Jesus and the kingdom and, and on his things. And, and he's not saying that, that he's not... Uh, that he's against any of these things. He's just more for Jesus and his kingdom, and he's wanting to make sure that it, the lines don't get blurred in his life nor in his testimony. Uh, Jeremiah and I listen to, he, he doesn't preach, but the church that he goes to, he does preach sometimes. And one of the sermons that I listened to yesterday, Jeremiah did, was when he invited some of his basketball um, colleagues to church. Actually, they wanted to go to church with him. He didn't invite them. They wanted to go. And he just... Uh, told his preacher that they were coming, and he says, well, why don't you speak? And so he preached, you know, just on the cuff, man. It was amazing. Uh, just a humble man, a young man. He's only 22 years old, but the fact that he is so focused. Now, here's what happens. I, I, I've seen this before. Not, I don't know that I would see it in this kind of this depth that I feel like I see in him, but, but I have seen people that, you know, go into the NBA, the NFL, or whatever it is, and they just seem like they're all sold out for Jesus. And little by little, it just seems like that it weakens. Their testimony weakens. Their, their conversation about Jesus weakens. Their stance about the kingdom weakens. And why does that happen? Because there is so much pressure from the world to be so focused on the things of this kingdom and what, what you know, these things that we have to, that, that it wants us to make decisions on, that we've, we begin to just drift from our focus being so, um, so intense on Jesus' kingdom. Now, Jesus, he stayed focused, and he instilled this in his disciples. And he really tried to help them, you know, understand that you're going to have to be focused people. When I leave, you're going to have to really be focused on this kingdom because there's going to be things that will come to try to uh, direct you other places. And, uh, and so I just appreciate when I run across somebody like this. And I pray that, that we'll take this attitude, because that's what Jesus is talking about in this prayer, is that we pray like this. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's got to do with the heart, right? And so we take, we take this attitude and we apply it then to our situation, because I'd be my guess that most of us here are not in this kind of situation as much as we are in like our political stance and our view on this pandemic and how it affects our community and things of this sort and, and all of this and, and just trying to make sure that we are more, more primarily focused on the kingdom of God in the midst of trying to make some of these other choices. And I pray that you will represent the kingdom first and foremost, that you will have strong opinions and very well about other things, but that it will not ever um, be more than what your opinion is about Jesus and his kingdom. You know, if we ever 
drive somebody out of the church because of our political view, that should be a red light that we have, we have changed our focus upon the kingdom of God more and way too much than it should be. Um, and so I pray that Jesus' kingdom is not overshadowed by Biden's kingdom, Trump's kingdom, uh, the pandemic, and all of the things that go with that, you know, no mask, mask, and all on and on. That will make it very clear to the people that we're around that we are children of the eternal kingdom. And this is where we stand. Now, Jesus, like I said several times already, that makes it very clear about his place in the kingdom. I want us to look at another verse. There's so many of these verses, but, um, and so I just kind of grabbed one. But let's just walk through John chapter 18, and starting with verse 33. And Jesus has a conversation with Pilate here. Somebody that knew nothing about the kingdom of heaven. Um, but he has a conversation. And so let's just look through this for a minute here. Starting with verse John 18, starting with verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, answered, Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Now Jesus is interested in what he thinks about him, right? And this is just the way Jesus is. Jesus, every time Jesus has a conversation with somebody, his primary interest is what they, how they view him and what, how they see him. When he has a conversation with the woman on the well, it is all about, who do you think that I am? When Jesus is, is, you know, talking to Nicodemus about how to be reborn, it is all about, who, Nicodemus, who do you think that I am? You know who I am. And so Jesus is always concerned about, when he has the conversation with people, well, who do they think I am? Like the blind man and, and the woman caught in adultery and on and on and on we could go. And that's where Jesus always takes the conversation. So Pilate answers that, though, and he says, Am I a Jew, your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me? What have you done? In other words, how would I know who you are? I don't know who you are. All I know is that your own people reject you, right? But Pilate showed zero interest in learning who Jesus is or knowing anything really about him. He's only interested in how do I, I need to know how I'm going to judge you, put, you know, pronounce judgment upon you. But Jesus tells him he is the king, and he tells him about his kingdom anyway. Why? Because Jesus is interested in inviting people to be a part of his kingdom. He is all about trying to you know, uh, uh, expose his kingdom you know, to show it in some way, and then to invite people to be a part of it. And so he's offering an invitation here to Pilate. You know, no one is more hospitable than Jesus, right? I mean, a man who did not have his own home was always inviting people into his circle, always inviting people into his fellowship and trying to engage with him. 
And all for the purpose of one day hopefully inviting anybody and everybody that would want to come to his kingdom and be a part of that, including us. Jesus answered in verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. There's a couple things that Jesus is doing there, and one of them is, is that if, if I wanted, if, if this was my kingdom, if I wanted this kingdom, then I would just have all of my people fight to establish this kingdom. And you know that he's not talking about just his followers, although that's probably what Pilate was thinking, right? But he's talking about all of the angels, you know, that came and rescued Elisha. Remember we had that conversation not too long ago, and they were filled the uh, hillside. And that's the kind of people that Jesus was saying, if, if this was my kingdom and I wanted it, I would just send my servants to fight for it, and I would have it. That would be not, no problem. But the point is, is that Jesus doesn't want this kingdom. That's not what he's after. The second thing is, it's just that he came here, it, it points to he came here for a purpose, a reason. If my kingdom was of this world, then I would, I would just do whatever I need to do to obtain it. But this isn't my kingdom, and I didn't come here to get this kingdom. I came here to rescue the people that are in this kingdom and take them to be a part of mine. Don't you know that that's what he was after? In Matthew chapter 27, it just made me think of this verse when I was studying through this. And it, Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? Still completely focused on his kingdom and why he came here. And this is a conversation that was ha- being had around the cross in Matthew 27, verse 39, it says, And those who pass by derived him, uh, wag- wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also rivaled him in the same way. But you and I know that no, nobody was holding him on the cross besides his own free will. His own desire. In fact, Jesus said those words is that they don't, they, they don't take my life. I lay my life down, you know, like it was his choice to do so. And Jesus could have done exactly what they were mocking. He could have came down off that cross. But he knew that that was his entrance back into his eternal kingdom. His way of exiting this temporary kingdom to go to his eternal kingdom. He also knew this was the only door that would be available for us to, be, to go into his kingdom and be invited. Am I right, church? It's only through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have entrance into his kingdom. Not any other reason, not any other way. And so both passages just point, as well as the whole New Testament, point to that whole point that that was his plan from the very beginning is to... And the reason he stayed so focused is because he put all of his effort into this eternal kingdom. Nowhere does Jesus ever give us the impression that he was settling 
settling into this earthly kingdom. He had no house. He collected no possessions besides the clothes that he was wearing on his back. He didn't even have money. He would get it from a fish if he needed to pay his taxes or something. But it didn't have, he didn't have real purpose for you know, accumulating things here on this earth. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. When he was crucified, the only thing that they could gamble away at the foot of the cross was his cloak, right? That's just because he never was invested here. Never. The only reason he came was to get us. And that was his purpose. And every time that he gets a new recruit, a new follower, he tries to instill this into them. Now you are mine. Now you are a part of my kingdom. Now I want you to stay focused. The whole New Testament, just read it. It is all about trying to keep us focused upon what is coming, not what is. And to and be completely invested in that. Like I said, no one was more hospitable than Jesus. In Luke chapter 13, verse 29 and 30, it says... And people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus has a table prepared for us. And he's wanting us to have this big old feast because he's so hospitable. He wants us to be a part of his amazing kingdom that he has It is so important for us to completely not forget that we are a part of two worlds. And they are so, you know, so different from one another. One is temporal, one is eternal. One is, has just got so many problems and one is so perfect. And it's important that we don't lose sight of this, you know, this thing that is going on around us constantly. And that we stay focused on his eternal kingdom. That's why further down, so we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Further down in verse 33, what does Jesus say? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. I'll take care of your earthly things while you're here But I want you to be completely focused like I was focused. I want you to be focused on the kingdom that I brought. Now, the number one adversary in this world, in this kingdom, is Satan, right? In in Isaiah chapter um, uh, 14, it tells us that uh, Lucifer... This fallen angel decided he didn't want any part of that kingdom, and he was cast down to this earth. When, when Jesus prayed, this, I think this is really important, but when Jesus prayed here in Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10, he, he knew that we would be at war against, there would be this war against uh, uh, this earthly kingdom and, and God's kingdom, against Jesus and, and Satan, right? There would just be this battle that would be raging in the midst of us. And Jesus wasn't praying for Satan to change his ways. When he says, you know, in in, uh, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it happened. He wasn't praying that Satan would change and so that he would allow Jesus to have his way. He was, rather, he was praying that uh, 
that you and I would not allow Satan to use us as his pawns. That you and I would allow God to have his way in us. That we would be focused upon his kingdom, not focused upon this earthly kingdom. And that's the war that is being battled. Satan is trying to get you to focus on something so trivial compared to... It's not trivial in the sense that it's not important in this life, but it's trivial in the sense that it's not important when you compare it to eternal things. And he doesn't want you to be defeated because Satan wants to use you. He wants to drive his agenda here on this earth because this is his earth. And he will defeat individuals because he will, he will get them to be you know, to invest in this kingdom instead of in the kingdom of God. He will even defeat some churches because he'll get some churches to focus on this kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. And it will end up destroying some of the churches. And he wants, what God or Jesus prayed is that he is praying and trying to help us figure out how to pray so that that doesn't happen to us. Satan wants everyone to focus, put all their focus here about these things, about this stuff that is upon us. Jesus wants us to keep our heads and he wants us to keep our focus upon him and his things and the things that are important to him. You know, Satan, I'm just going to give you some verses and you can look at these later, but here's some things that, that are said in the New Testament about Satan. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 31, that he is the prince of this world. Jesus said that. This is his domain, is what he was saying. He's the prince of it. In first, our second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it says that he is the God of this world. He is. A little g, but he is the little g God of this world. That's what it says about him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that he... He is called the rulers of the darkness of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says that he is the prince of the power of the air. So the point is, is that this is his kingdom. And he's going to do everything he can to get you to establish yourself, to focus yourself, and to be primarily about the issues that's got to do with this kingdom. And take your eyes off of Jesus and off of his kingdom and the issues that he wants you to be a part of. I want to take you now, and we'll close out with this, but in Mark chapter 8, there's a conversation that Jesus has with, with Peter. And I think it's pretty significant. Because we're all going to be just like Jonathan Isaac, where we are going to be put to the test about what we are going to do, where we are going to actually put our focus upon his kingdom or upon, you know, this earthly kingdom. Where are we going to invest our efforts? What are we going to make things about? And I appreciated so much that Jonathan Isaac made a good choice. And he just tried to get people just to be focused on his kingdom. And more than anything, he just wanted to make sure he stayed focused on his kingdom Look at this one about Jesus here. Verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief 
priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days raised again. And that was his focus. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. What does that mean, setting your mind on the things of God? It literally means agreeing together, cherishing the same views, be harmonious, the same focus, same goals, the same agenda. And he was just saying to Peter, you're not, you're not making God's agenda your agenda. You're not making God's focus your focus. You are allowing the things in this temporal world to get you to focus on them instead. You and I have to recognize that there is the adversary that is working overtime right now. He is trying so hard for, to draw lines in the sand in front of you to get you to side with the things that are in this world. It's got to do with this kingdom. And if you're not careful, you will make it more about this kingdom than you will make it about Jesus' kingdom. And you just have to know that we have to look at some people, some articles, some news broadcasts, some family, some friends, and we're just going to have to say, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was just saying, your attitude and what you're trying to promote is trying to get me to focus on something that I should not focus on, and it's not going to happen. I am going to say focus on the kingdom and make it my priority. Let me pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is always helpful. It's always valuable, Lord. It always has the right thing to say in any given situation, any given time. And I just pray, Lord, that you will make it produce fruit in our lives as we walk through this odd time where there's so many um, opportunities that Satan has set up to try to snare us, to try to derail us, to try to trick us, to invest in this world, instead of staying invested and focused upon your kingdom. Father, don't let him deceive us. Help us to walk through this time, making our choices that would benefit your kingdom, that would make you look good, that would edify you, that would, at least in our hearts, Glorify you and, and just proclaim that we want your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our hearts and in our lives. May we be ever promoters of you and your beautiful kingdom that you have invited us to be a part of. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We are going to partake of communion at this time, and Sean's going to come and do our communion meditation. You know, this is a perfect opportunity for us to be focused on his kingdom. That's what this table is all about, is to make sure that we stay focused upon the things that are of most importance. Shalom. means peace. That's the understanding that we have of that word on a routine basis, right? Is It's peace. In the Hebrew language, though, letters have specific meanings. So the letters that make up the word shalom, if you look at the letters individually, you get a different sense of the word shalom. And what it really is saying is to destroy the authority attached to chaos. So when you wish somebody shalom, you're wishing them the ability to destroy the authority attached to chaos in their life. But who offers that? Who is the only person that offers that authority to destroy chaos? It's Christ. That's why we're here. That's what Mike's been talking about. It's his kingdom, but through his kingdom he offers us that peace, that, the authority to destroy chaos. Chaos is often in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament associated with storms. And the sea, specifically storms on the sea, we know one specific pet one is uh, Peter. When Christ, he's in the midst of the storm and Christ is standing on the water and Peter is called out of the boat and Peter is focused on Christ. He's got, he's got chaos controlled until he looks down. And he looks at the chaos itself, and he sinks into it. He's lost his shalom. Of course, Christ saves him because he's got bigger plans for Peter. And I think that's one of the things that as we come to this time, as we come to this table, if we have stepped away, lost our focus on the shalom that we have through Christ, this is a perfect opportunity to focus back on that, to, to ask him to give us that peace again. In Romans 8, 2, it says, Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Gave me shalom. As we come to the table, shalom. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've brought us to this time. You've brought us through looking at your word and understanding that it's your kingdom that matters. It's your kingdom that controls. It's your kingdom that is above every other kingdom. Lord, we would ask that as you saw fit to ask us to join you in communion, that you would help us to open our hearts completely to your word, completely to your desire for us, for us to have the ability to get past the chaos so that the authority that is over chaos has no authority over us. Lord, we thank you that you can control the chaos, that you are in charge, 
and that you create a perfectly placid place for us to be. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.